This is Richo on Wooshka for the very first time, hopefully though, not the last. Hey, you all know Richo. Uh, I'm kind of well known, aren't I? Let's face it, I've been around for a long, long time. I became Secretary of the Labor Party when I was 26 and official at 22. So I've now been around full time in this business. And I hate saying this, it's really hard to say, for almost 45 years. And in all of that time, all of that time, one thing you've got to remember is you always should treat people well on their way up. Because one thing's for sure, there is a way down. And when you're coming down, you need to know that somebody out there cares. And I've got to say, I've got to say that I'm just somebody who used to be important. But I also remember when I was unimportant. I remember the vast by-election in Tasmania in 1974 when Whitlam stupidly, ridiculously, at the height of his most unpopular period, allowed his, uh, his Deputy Prime Minister Lance Barnard to resign and cause a by-election in Bass. And I went down to Tasmania to help. What a time I had for four weeks of misery where every door you knocked on you were greeted with hatred and abuse. It was just extraordinary. And that was even not even the Labor Party doors. They were worse because at that stage, the left were making a big run in Victoria and I was supposed to be a very nasty type from New South Wales. But I remember one thing on election day, where there was this massive swing against Labor, there was nothing but pouring, bucketing rain. Terrible, terrible day. Extraordinary. Cold, wet, miserable. And there was I standing there in the rain. And I was at a booth just near the motel where the heavies were staying and two white cars drove off to lunch. David Coombe and all of the big timers, they all went while I stood on the booth. And I swore to myself at that stage, never, ever, ever would I get in the white car in a circumstance like that and drive off to some nice restaurant so I could sit there in the warmth for two hours sipping wine and, and drinking uh, the, the very best and eating the very best. No, that didn't happen. I stood there and the Labor Party was so disorganised in Tasmania, I got nothing. Didn't get a cup of tea, didn't get a sausage roll, absolutely bugger all. That's what I got. All I got was cold, wet and even more miserable. And then I got saved. A Liberal lady came up. I will never forget the kindness of this, this Liberal lady who took pity on this poor, sodden-looking horror, horror in me and gave me a peach pie. It was one of the nicest peach pies I've ever had. It may well be the only peach pie I had, but it was very nice. And then she gave me a really hot cup of tea. It was almost enough to get me to vote Liberal. But of course, I got over that very quickly. But I remember what it's like to be a nobody when no one wants you. And then all of a sudden, you're a somebody. You ever look at Malcolm Turnbull? He's a pretty good example of that. Because he's, well, he's always had money and Gary Packer helped him on the road to becoming very, very rich. He was always a very bright guy, but not someone that people nat naturally took a shine to. Now, he's always that, the guy who was a bit too clever, a bit too smart, and let you know it. And I made one of the few errors I've made in politics by saying that he would never be elected leader again after he got thrown out in 2011. The Liberal Party never wear him again because they hated him. A stupid thing for me to say because I didn't even look of what happened in my own party. Because I also remember Kevin Rudd. Now, Kevin Rudd, arguably, in the top ten low-grade human beings I ever met, which is a big call because I have met some shockers. But 
He was there, and he was terrible, absolutely bloody awful, a shocking human being. And I know people who <laughs> voted for him when we, we brought him back after Hillard's failure, and they did it really with their, their nose firmly held between their fingers because they knew what the bloke was, but they also knew he'd save some seats, and they made themselves vote for him. Now, look at the Liberal Party today. All that's happened is exactly the same thing. You had Tony Abbott and Joe Hockey leading them over a cliff, and at some stage, you know, you look down there and you say, it's a long way to the rocks. I'm not going that way. I'm going backwards. And so they went and they did exactly what they should have done and put Turnbull in. Now, have a look at the result since they did. In eight weeks, they've gone up eight points in the polls. Now, for those of you who don't know much about polls, let me tell you this. That is an extraordinary jump. Polls move slowly. They don't move quickly. That's why I disregard polls that showed 3 and 4% jumps in two weeks, because they don't happen. And there are obviously rogue polls. Not every poll is going to get it right. But news poll over time has proven to be the one that, that really counts. And news poll shows an eight-point jump in eight weeks. And I've got to tell you, for the Labor Party, that ought to be absolutely terrifying, and for the Liberal Party, it ought to be uplifting. Because it now means, in my view, Malcolm Turnbull already is unbeatable. Malcolm Turnbull will win the next election, and there is a chance, which, and this is another big call, to use that phrase I've used a few times so far, he may well gain seats. Labor Party just assumed that they were going to just move forward because you know, I think it's fair to say that Abbott and Hockey are done appallingly, and I think Labor were on track for a win. A one-term government federally, the first time in God knows how long, looked like it would happen, but not now. Malcolm Turnbull cannot and will not be beaten. And that's because he understands one thing that probably no Prime Minister in a very long time understood. Everyone knows what Prime Ministers are supposed to do. Yes, you lead your party and yes, you put good policy through the Parliament and you argue your case. But there's another thing that Prime Ministers have to do that I think we've forgotten about because we've had John Howard, we've had Kevin Rudd, we've had Julia Gillard, we've had Kevin Rudd again, then we had Tony Abbott. I mean, none of them, none of them could ever get you off your seat. None of them could inspire anyone. They were all wet blankets, totally unaware of the need to go out to Australians and lift them, to give them something to care about, to jump up in the air and say, you beauty. How many times do you reckon you wanted to do that when Julia Gillard was the Prime Minister or when, when uh, Tony Abbott was? I mean, nobody did. Uh, all you could do was look at them and say, what's gone wrong? So we were miserable. The big problem with Australians were we were miserable. We didn't think there was hope. Now, Turnbull's come in and he's done nothing. That's the first point. Not a thing. But the rhetoric changed. So did the attitude. So if you look at question time now, there's a Prime Minister who actually smiles. He sticks the knife in, but he does it with a smile. He does it with some humour. But the important thing is he talks about what a great time it is to be an Australian. He knows his responsibility is not just to lead his party to electoral victories. He's got a broader responsibility. He needs to lift Australia up to give them hope, to actually inspire them. And it's a long, long, long time since any of us have been inspired. So Malcolm's done very, very well. Now, I think, that in contrast, you look at Bill Shorten. Poor old Bill. He isn't just struggling. He's really struggling. I mean, times for Bill are very, very tough. First off, you've had the Royal Commission. Now, the Royal Commission has now said to him, well, we're not going to charge you. But that doesn't actually get you off the hook. I mean, just because you, the jury finds you not guilty 
doesn't mean you're not guilty. It means they couldn't find enough evidence to get you not guilty. And the trouble for Bill is that so many people look at what's been said about him and look at all the deals within his union and they say to themselves, there's something wrong here. This just doesn't smell right. And what's worse, the CFMEU, where there's been thuggery to a degree that I find truly appalling, is not prepared to do anything at all about the union or any single one in it. And that's very sad. And people expect you to act. If there's thieving going on, if there's crookery, there's thuggery, then you're supposed to be the leader who says, no more. I'll draw a line in the sand here. Out goes that union. They won't do that. They'll probably kick out the NUW because it's a small union, doesn't matter much, and they'll, they'll boot them out. Because in New South Wales, there's been an extraordinary, that's the, that's the only word for it, an extraordinary amount of thieving, uh, matched only by the excesses of the HSU in recent years. I remember... When I was uh, Secretary of the Labor Party, I used to discuss with Leo McClay, who was then my um, Assistant Secretary, who went on to be the Speaker in the National Parliament, how much we could use for TA. Because in travelling allowance, I was always afraid someone would have a go at us. So we're trying to minimise just enough to buy yourself a pie at lunch and maybe a decent dinner. But, but that's for sure, you're always worried about spending the Labor Party's money. Unfortunately, some people in these unions just started to believe that the union money was theirs. There was no real difference, and away they went. I mean, just think of Kathy Jackson and the HSU going to Las Vegas for two weeks, staying in a suite, eating and drinking up really big, having a great time, and every single dollar on the union, including the first-class airfares. Now, you just can't believe it would happen, but it did. And now you've got a bloke paying for tattoos and dating sites in the NUW. I mean, it, it, just, it just beggars the imagination. But one thing it does do, it dampens down whatever you think about the Labor Party. We all have to wear in the Labor Party some of the odium of this. And the, the tragedy is, I had a bloke say to me only a couple of days ago, you must have known. Well, how the hell would I know? I only ever met Derek Beelan once, didn't like him, didn't want to see him again, and so I ignored him. Uh, and I haven't had anything to do with that union in, you know, 20 or 30 years, whatever. So you don't know. And how could you know? But people just assume in some way you would. And so I think the Labor Party is suffering badly because of the look of the unions. And for Bill Shorten to do nothing about it, that makes it even worse. The second problem is that there's no longer a Tony Abbott. While there was Tony Abbott, and just remember this, eight weeks ago, Bill Shorten was the favoured Prime Minister, the one in front. Everybody was saying, this is the bloke going to become our Prime Minister. And we weren't too upset about it. We didn't love it. But it wasn't an issue. It wasn't an issue because... People had come to dislike Tony Abbott so much. Hockey was just regarded as a joke. They're not there anymore. You have in Turnbull and Morrison a really formidable duo. They're the ones who make the Liberal Party look good. And when they say if there are big changes in the tax system, that they're going to be fair, I almost believe them, which is, again, a very big call. I almost believe them. So you've got to say they've got a chance of selling it all. But, and I want to... I just want to say a few words about this whole GST debate because it's going to go on in Australia for the next six months. First off, it's a very big mistake on Turnbull's part to allow things to go as wild and feral as they are. Just letting this debate run, without everyone with their oar in the water, everyone with some brilliant idea, everyone with a way to spend your money, just means that you run out and you run out very, very fast. If you put a 5% GST on, on the same base that we've got now, you raise $30 billion. You're going to spend a quarter to a third of that compensating pensioners and 
the unemployed and the like, low-income earners, for what they're losing just by that measure. So there's, there's a big chunk goes out with that. The states expect to spend the money. It's theirs, you know. You remember what happened with the GST. If you take out the compensation package, it all goes to the states. Now what Scott Morrison is saying is all wrong. No, no, this increase comes to us. And he's already spent it three times over himself before the states get hold of it. Of course, he's saying, I'm going to lower the top rate. I'm going to lower the next few marginal rates because next year, by the way, even on ordinary earnings, you're going to the second highest tax bracket. So bracket creep's killing people. He knows he's got to stop that. So it takes an enormous amount of billions to fix that. And of course, he wants to lower the company tax rate. Whoa, and, and he should. We are uncompetitive with the rest of the world. We should lower it. Now, one of these internationals are trying to duck our tax all the time. It's too bloody high. So Scott Morrison says we'll fix that as well. And it's going to raise the pension. My God. I mean, there's only 30 billion. There isn't 300 billion. And, and that's a really big problem. And then you go to the States and you say, hang on, uh, you get the, all of the last lot, none of this lot. What do you reckon Mike Baird, who started this debate off, is going to say to that? He will go tropper. And a lot of the premiers will all be with him. How do you sell? How do you win elections when you, you, you've got everybody around the country in, a, in an important position in the state government buckling the crap out of you? I'll tell you, it's not very easy. I'm not sure they've thought this thing through very well. And that is all said before you get to the Senate. What happens in the Senate? In the Senate, I reckon the chances of getting this through at the moment are Buckley's because they haven't done uh, anything about the crossbenchers. Don't you think it would have been smart before you kicked off the debate to get a Nick Xenophon aside, to get a Lazarus aside, or God help us, a Jackie Lambie, make sure there's witnesses who are getting her aside. But, I mean, you'd, you'd have to go to them and you'd have to start talking about what you're about and what might happen. But here today... We've still got people thinking that they're going to broaden the base and include food and rent and education and health. You can't do any of it. If you do, the task of selling this is just massive. No way in the world could any of us ever believe you could get that through. It won't happen, of course. So why? Why doesn't Morrison just get up and say, by the way, I just want you all to be assured there'll never be a proposal under this government to broaden the base. Whatever we do with an increase... We will be sticking entirely with the base we've got. Why does he just say that? And so we can stop some of the scare campaign. Labor doesn't need to run a scare campaign. It'll run itself. That's the problem they've got. The scare campaign will run itself in the next three to six months unless they're smart enough to stand up and do something about setting some parameters around this debate. You see, tax is the one thing that every single Australian thinks about. You have to, don't you? Every single Australian thinks about it. And therefore, it's not just the case that Bill Shorten's got, got to sell the message. The message gets out itself. If you're a pensioner and somebody starts talking about taxing food, you're frightened, naturally. You should be, too, especially given that it's a Liberal government in, in command, because let's face it, I never joined the Labor Party because my dad always said that your job, son, is to make sure that those people who, have, who haven't got a quid, who may, may not be all that bright, may not have great initiative, that they don't get left behind. And that's why I joined the Labor Party. And that's why I still, I still take out a ticket. I don't go to meetings anymore, obviously, but I still take out a ticket. But no, I want you to understand in my last words, in my first session in Wooshka, I don't have the white car anymore. I'm not driving off to lunch. I'm still standing there, and I'm still trying to make sure that Australians understand where we all stand. You have been listening to Graham Richardson, brought to you by Wooshka. Wooshka.